welcome to another episode of Globe Fodder, the podcast taking you around the world one episode at a time. My name is Ryan Bleak. I'm your co-host here with the uh, lovely little blonde girl. What was your name? My name is Tyra Bleak. Oh, you are quite fetching over there. So it has been a long time, a long time, Tyra, since we did our last episode, hasn't it? We're horrible people. Yeah, well, you know, we went through a difficult year. We were kidnapped by Bolivian pirates. Um, We got the coronavirus. Tyra had both of her arms amputated. Anyway, it's a long story, uh, but obviously we couldn't do a podcast under such dire circumstances, but we're back. The Bolivian um, Pirates. pirates weren't so bad, though. That was kind of wonderful. Yeah, they were super nice guys. Super nice. And of course, those who know their geography know that that's a, just a quite quite hilarious little joke because Bolivia is landlocked. They wouldn't have pirates. Oh my gosh. Oh, I know. Oh, it's <laughs> You're so such a trickster. Much, so much fun here at oh, Globe wow. <laughs> Anyway, Tyra, could you please tell our lovely audience... What country we'll be discussing today? Today, we are discussing one of my favorite places, Portugal. And I'm sure our loyal listeners are wondering why we're doing Portugal, because our first three episodes, our first three countries, we did in alphabetical order. But we decided to uh, get away from the alphabetical list for this episode because we uh, recently went to Portugal. And by recent, I I guess you're probably thinking, seriously? In the COVID era? Uh, No, actually, it was last fall, last Almost a year ago, almost exactly a year ago. So jumping right into the geography of Portugal, if you know where Europe is, then you know where Spain is at, right? Spain is on the very, very southwestern part of Europe. Okay. And if you picture Spain as being the U.S., then California would be Portugal, in that just to the north, just to the east is Spain, and then it's the rest is ocean. I see. Yep. All right. And wait, hold on. If you also maybe didn't know any of that and just looked at a map, you could look for something that looks like a woman's head, like a profile, smack dab in the middle. Did you ever notice that? I never noticed that. Because Portugal looks like the face, the side, and then the back of it, which is Spain, is like the hair. The top is Spain and the back is like... The back hair. Party in the back. <laughs> Party in the back. So just look for a woman's profile. All right. There you go. Good tip, Tyra. <laughs> uh, so tell you a little bit more about the, uh, the the geography. It's a relatively small country. It's uh, 35,603 square miles. The U.S. in comparison has about 9.5 million square miles. And so Portugal is the 109th largest country just behind Hungary and ahead of Jordan. It's about 80 to 120 miles across and about 350 miles long north to south. The highest point in Portugal is Serra de Estrela, about 6,500 feet high, and that's the highest point on mainland Portugal. Excuse me. Mount Pico on Pico Island at 7,700 feet is the highest point in all of Portugal. Which I really wanted to go to that, but that oh, was a whole Sierra, other... Oh, to the island? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was a whole day trip. But yeah, it our trip was, was way too way too short. And the lowest point, of course, is sea level. What if you go scuba diving? Is it lower? I'll the, be here all night. <laughs> oh, boy. 
Uh, the population of Portugal is about 10 million, which makes it the 88th most populous country, with Greece coming in just above it and Jordan right behind it. The capital and largest city of Portugal is Lisbon, okay. with a population of about 500,000 in the city proper and about 3 million in the metro area. And you and I have been there. It's absolutely beautiful. It's very, very hilly. Uh, it reminds, reminded both of us of uh, San Francisco. Yeah, for sure. And very compact. Yes. For that many like people, it's like, wow, you're squeezed into this little city. Big but little, right? Yep. Next, we're going to talk about the weather, uh, the weather in Lisbon. And it's very, very, uh, very mild and similar to Northern California. So okay. in January, your average temperatures are about 46 to 59 degrees. And then in July, you're looking at 66 to 83 so speaking of Lisbon, where is it located within the country of Portugal? So Lisbon is on the West Coast. It's about, not quite, but about halfway up, up the, uh, the West Coast. Just to finish up the, uh, the climate section, the climate is actually quite similar to California. In, that, in the South, very, very beautiful beaches and very, very warm, tends to be very warm. And then the, it moderates as you get more towards the North. And just like California, it has mountains. So the climate is very, very dependent on elevation. Okay, Tyra, so next we're going to talk about the history of Portugal. And I struggled once again, and usually I do when it comes to the history of these countries. I struggled to summarize it very briefly, so I'm just going to hit a couple of the high points. So Portugal has been settled since basically prehistoric times, all the way from the, from the, the pre-Celts to the Celts to the German Visigoths, you name it. Uh, it's been occupied by all kinds of different European powers, including the Romans, the Greek, the Greeks, etc. But what I didn't know until we traveled there um, is that it went through a period where it was, it's, they called it the Muslim, oh gosh, the Muslim occupation, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so it was occupied by uh, a Muslim caliphate for several hundred years. And it wasn't until the uh, mid 1300s when John I came into power um, that Portugal started to become a European power. And skipping ahead to modern times, it wasn't a, until about 1976 that Portugal first had a democratic form of government. Wow. And its current form. Moving on to the language of Portugal, it's, uh, surprise, surprise, Portuguese. Of course, uh, the largest Portuguese-speaking country is its former colony of Brazil. Now I'd like to talk about the economics of Portugal. Its GDP, or gross domestic product, is about $358 billion. Its per capita income, about 35000 So to give you a little comparison, uh, the U.S., excuse me, our per capita income is about 59000 So we are quite a bit wealthier, not quite twice as much, which makes sense having been there. It is the most affordable Western European country. You know, you and myself, we've both traveled through most of Western Europe, and it's, you know, it can be very spendy, whereas Portugal felt pretty affordable. And the unemployment in Portugal is about 14.2%. Uh, and of course, this is outdated. Now with COVID, I imagine it's quite a bit higher. But to give you, again, some perspective, pre-COVID, our U.S. unemployment was about 4%. Its number one export is oil, which surprised me. I didn't know that it was an oil producer. And its second export is second largest export is footwear, which uh, we contributed to that export, didn't we, Tyra? Oh, we sure did. <laughs> so, Tyra, if a person wanted to take a flight to Portugal, um, I looked at 
flights for next June. Now we'll see whether those happen or not. Knock on wood. Uh, but right now those flights are running seven hundred and seven dollars, and that's a round trip. And each flight there and back would be twenty seven hours total and twenty hours. Uh, with one layover, that's from Seattle, where our near, nearest airport. Twenty-seven hours. Well, counting one layover, but again, that's the cheapest flight. Now, in okay. our in our old age, we don't necessarily opt for the cheapest flight. I would much prefer the flight for eight hundred and sixty-three dollars, which gives you a, a trip a day a day's trip of fourteen point five hours with one layover. Okay, that's doable. Yeah, I I will. I'll pay they, that. That's, they can have my money. That's not very much more. Of course, I would pay that. Yeah, 150 bucks. about. Next, we'll talk about the major tourist attractions. And uh, there's there's a lot to see, and that's hard to, to narrow it down. I mean, for I, sure. by far, the number one attraction is just the beach. Mm-hmm, the coast. Uh, the coast. Coastline. I mean, whether it's the south, south. So the southern coast feels very sort of Mediterranean, even though technically it's not on the Mediterranean. Yes. Um, it, but you've got that sort of deep blue or bright blue i don't know how to even even describe that but the the beautiful blue waters the waters are so clear so vibrant and we we were lucky with just amazing weather and it was just Mm -hmm. i mean that was the highlight was Mm -hmm. this was the southern coast for sure but then also what's interesting is if you go to the western coast it's also beautiful um it feels kind of and i've never actually even been there myself but when i look at pictures of like the big sur region of california Mm -hmm. Like just, I mean, really, really majestic. Now, it's not quite as nice of a place to go, you know, lay on the beach, but really, really beautiful. And what was surprising about the beaches on the West Coast was just how uncrowded they were. I mean, we had this gigantic beach and maybe there was one or two other people that eventually came or were there. Like it was, there was, we had the beach almost literally to ourselves. Yeah, everybody is flocking to the southern beach and which is beautiful. It's lighter sand, but the western beach that we visited was um magnificent. Like it was like there's beautiful and then there's like awe, like awe, yeah. you know, like you're just in awe. Right. And that's kind of how that beach was. And it was because of the vast like like the cliffs right on the right on the beach, right. yeah, yeah exactly. which we hiked up one of them. And it was definitely worth it. And the nice thing is, I should we should mention, you don't even have to go. So we we started our vacation on the southern coast of Portugal, and we didn't have to go that far up the the, no, the western the, the west coast. Yeah, it was like an hour drive. or yeah. something, right. It's it's yeah, it was really really worth it too. For such also a different like beach feel. Yes, so one was more touristy layout get you know, drinks. The other was like a, more of an adventure. Yeah, like, go explore. Um, the vast cliffs, mm-hmm. um, they were black. They were dark. Do you remember that? Yeah, and, color? and really it, large waves, apparently. Yep. It's it's one of the, and it tends to be farther up the coast, but one of the, one of the, the premier surf uh, surfing coast in the in the entire world, right? And it was like cascading cliffs, just in like right. to your your eye, you know, to the distance, and so it was really beautiful. Anyway, anyway. we should probably move on, but it, we, we highly, high, exactly, <laughs> we highly recommend seeing the ocean there. And of course, besides the ocean, you've got Lisbon, which is a, just a absolutely, again, beautiful city. So much, so many great restaurants, so much to do, live so music, culture. just so much culture. And the second city of, of Portugal is Porto, the second largest city, which we heard good things about, didn't get a chance to visit. Same thing for Coimbra, which is a college town in central Portugal, 
when we go back, we'll definitely hit more northern Portugal next time. And something to be mentioned about the, the cities is just how the beauty of them and the reason why they're so beautiful and different than anything we had ever seen was the tile work. Do you remember that? I do. And um, like, so all the, the sides of the buildings, they had like just beautiful mosaic, um, vibrant colors, mm-hmm. not like just muted colors, like grays and that's soft to the eye, but you have like, you know, a teal tiled house and then you have an orange tiled house and then you have and it's shiny and they're all buffed and beautiful and then additionally the streets were made of gold no (laughs) they weren't but they were basically the same thing yeah mosaic mosaic tile it was was really really beautiful speaking of tourist attractions i always like to highlight my favorite negative review and uh this episode we're talking about a review of the covenant of christ which is in tomar uh, we didn't get to go there, but the pictures look amazing. It's a former uh, monastery, or it's a current monastery, I guess, um, that dates all the way back to 1160, which is crazy how old that is. The pictures look great, looks awesome to me, but somebody wasn't quite so impressed. They said, very unpleasant for younger people. We have visited this fantastic site many times and are never disappointed, as each time we see and learn something new. This most recent visit was, however, spoiled by modern technology, and I couldn't care less response from the reception staff, who looked as though he had been dragged in off the streets. As a party of five, the youngest member of our group being 22 years old, the day was torturous. This site has an an electronic bird scarer which uses different sound wave frequencies. Oh. Being over a certain age, these sounds are inaudible, but our Portuguese friend was in the right age group to be affected by the constant high-pitched shrill being blasted out, causing her to have to block her ears and move to unaffected areas. Oh, my goodness. This sort of white noise, noise is used to deter hooligan behavior in the UK as only younger people are affected. Oh, Wow. Yeah, so I the guess, staff looked like they were drug in off the streets. Uh, they looked like they were drug in off the streets. And they then, used a bird scarer technology. The technology was too high pitched. Yeah. So this person says, so if you have a teen or early 20s member in your party, be aware they may suffer excruciating noise levels that you won't hear. <laughs> oh, my. I wonder if they got their money back. It's, I think it's only like six bucks, but no. maybe. <laughs> that would be awesome. If a person wanted to visit Lisbon and wanted to get an Airbnb, a average one-bedroom apartment was $100 US, which is about what we paid. Mm-hmm. And for that amount of money, we got a very decent place. We got a wonderful yeah. place. Yeah. Very, a very nice, desirable neighborhood. Uh-huh. Yeah, great, great place. So yeah. very affordable, again. But if you are a resident of Portugal, of course, it's going to set you back a little more for a month's rent. So if you want a one-bedroom in the city center, it's about $1,000 US. One bedroom outside the city center is about seven fifty. Three bedroom city center about two thousand. Three bedroom outside the city center about twelve hundred. Which again, for like a major global city, beautiful city, that's very very affordable. Yeah. If you're curious about Portuguese celebrities, well, the biggest celebrity, the biggest celebrity is uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. He's a soccer or a football player, as they would say over there. He is uh, actually a very, very handsome man. Very handsome. <laughs> I've never seen him before in my life. <laughs> sure oh, you would is. you would like what you see. 
and I always like to discuss novels and movies that are set um, in the location we're talking about. And this one I actually read. So whenever I go on vacation, I like to read a book that is set in the place I'm about to visit. Mm-hmm. And so this uh, this last trip, I read the book 300 Days of Sun by Deborah Lawrenson. I would describe it as kind of a cross between historical fiction and kind of a thriller. It's one of those books where it jumps between two different time periods. Okay. So it's set both in World War II and in modern times. Okay. And I would give it, I think on Amazon I got four stars. Maybe that's a smidge high. I would give it maybe 3.5 to Four stars. It was pretty good, not great. As far as a movie set in Portugal, and I've not seen this movie, but it's, but it's Night Train to Lisbon, which I actually think I would check out because I'm a sucker for night trains and Lisbon. Oh, yeah. and the, We should watch that for yeah, sure. Yeah, we should. It's about a Swiss professor who abandons his life to embark on a thrilling adventure. Oh, no. Something happens on the train. Oh. I'm assuming. The, on, on the night train to Lisbon? Yeah. Probably. Did we ride the train there? No, we didn't. No, we did not. We did not ride the train there because renting a car was affordable and their highways are amazing. Yes. Do you yes. recall that? They have uh, toll roads, which apparently the locals find to be expensive. And so they're not very well traveled. And we found that. Like we well, I might have sped a little bit, quite a bit. Um, no tickets, but a really, really nice roads. Really nice roads, and it wasn't that expensive. No, so and I should clar- I should clarify. I'm talking about the like the inter- their equivalent of the interstate. Yeah, right. Apparently, the locals skip the interstate because you can still drive the the old roads, which of course are way way um, slower. Next, we've got our listeners' favorites segments, which is the cuisine. Yes, and the beautiful Tyra Bleak is going to talk about Portuguese cuisine. We all know why it's our favorites because we all love to eat. Right? That's right. So, okay. I can go on and on for days about all of their food and how good it was. And maybe that's why I want to go back, like, now. <laughs> because they have such good food. Um, yes, they really good food. Yeah. So, Portuguese cuisine is very diverse. Um, they have very, just so many different amazing dishes that need to be talked about. And I'll try to um, bring it down to a couple of my favorites. From breakfast to dinner, you are going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Seriously. So, breakfast, the, the easiest one that I'm going to highlight is something called the Pastel de Nata. Do you remember this? I don't remember the name. Okay. Anyway, this is just a highly sought after breakfast pastry that is basically a little tiny pork pastry. Oh, yes. Do you remember uh-huh. that? Oh, yeah. It's like a dollar or 75 cents, I think. And it's basically a custard little tiny cake. Like, yeah. And it's very, very mild. Like when I think yeah. of custard, I think of like overly sweet. Like that's sure. just what I think of. Yeah. But it was like the perfect amount of sweet and creamy. Like it wasn't too sweet. Right. They barely put any sweet yeah. in it. Yeah. And actually, one morning I went, you were still sleeping or whatever. So I went out to get myself one of those and an espresso. I sat down, ordered espresso, and what's it called? Uh, the pastel de nata. And I, so I enjoyed it. I decided to come back. I saw another place. I sat down, got another espresso <laughs> and another pastry. You did? did. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Okay. So, and then they also top it with like a cinnamon, which I, d- I don't think we learned that until the end. Like they don't automatically top it with cinnamon, uh-huh. but you have to ask. 
And so anyway, they top it with a little bit of cinnamon. And, and when when we say mini, it means like basically the size of your the palm of your hand. It's that yeah, small. That's about right. And then they don't they're not served cold. They are served um like room temperature. Right. So let's move on. Okay, here's our appetizer hour. So basically in Portugal, what you can expect when you go to a restaurant is you'll sit down and they automatically bring you tapas. Like they don't even ask you. They bring them. They set them at the table. And then what is customary is if you eat those, then you get charged for them. If you do not touch them, they'll take them away and you don't get charged. Mm -hmm. And so we would oftentimes like we'll sit down and, you know, I would always tell them like, okay, yeah, we don't want that. But we will start with bread, olives, and then we would just order from there. So from there... Portugal does a really great job with um, all of their cured meats, smoked meats, and cheese. Mm -hmm. So we lived in smoked meats and cheese world for our appetizer, for our our afternoon appetizer hour, which was really wonderful. Do you remember? Oh, I remember. (laughs) So one of my favorite cheese that they had there was a goat and um, cow cheese. That was a blend that I can't necessarily find in the States. And then and additionally, I loved all of their olives. Like I would have that with l- lunch and um, dinner. They they look like they were just like freshly picked off the tree. And then the restaurant would um, either marinate them in some sort of herb blend and oil or pickle them themselves and serve them to you. And they were just wonderful. So moving on from there, let's talk about one of their other highly sought after foods, which is seafood. One seafood item that you hear a lot about in Portugal is called baklaha. I can't really say it correctly, baklaha. Anyway, it's salted cod. So um, this is a highly consumed food in Portugal. Before refrigeration, there was a need to preserve cod. And um, the way that they did it was drying it and salting it. It was back in the day. This technique was to preserve nutrients and to make the cod tastier. So basically, you would you can go to the supermarket and you would see like slabs of this white cod or white fish. It's not always cod laying out for you to smell, touch, otherwise personally inspect these pieces of fish. But anyway, this um, salted cod then is used in dishes later on where you have to put the salted cod in water and rehydrate it because it's totally dried out. And you have to change the water several times because it will be so salty to get it to the like saltiness that you want it to be. And then you put it in whatever dish or whatever recipe you have. And there's so many recipes in Portugal to, to use this salted cod. Do you remember what a chorizo asado is, Ryan? I don't think I do. Yes, you do. It was an item that we would order quite frequently. Oh, I think you're getting, I know which one you're talking about. Okay, so basically it's a flame-grilled chorizo sausage. It's um, a Portugal, it's Portugal's less spicy cousin of Spain's chorizo. Oh. Okay, so um, typically it's just a large link of sausage that has been scored and then they douse it with a high-proof alcohol and then they put it on your table and light it on fire and it's a little bonfire right in front of your face it's amazing yes it's it's like char grilled i don't know it's good yeah it's good and it's uh, it's fine it's like a spectacle because it comes and they light it on fire (laughs) yeah it's fun 
So the other great thing about going out to eat in Portugal is all of the yummy wine. Do you recall the Vino Verde? I sure do. Yeah, so that's a big thing in Portugal, which the name um, means green wine and is translated to mean young wine. So it's basically Vino Verde. It can only be called that if it's if the grapes are taken from a certain region in Portugal. But also, also it means that this wine is going to typically be a sparkling wine. The wine is opened or it's processed in a very short amount of time. So think like six months and they're already opening the mm-hmm. wine and serving to you. So it's young. So when you get it, it's going to be very fresh, very naturally acidic. And it's supposed to be like that. And sometimes because it's been opened, there's a little bit of bubbles. And now, Ryan, I'd like to introduce the newest portion of my segment. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know this was coming. Yes. So I wanted to highlight just a few things that maybe you should buy when you visit the country that we are Ah, talking about. So every time we go someplace, I always look up what I should buy there. What do they make or what? is like of what are they known for yeah what are they known for and their quality is better than ours okay then so what should we buy when we're in portugal shoes duh yes we found that out literally like two days before we had to leave well come to find out they make amazing shoes the other thing that they're known for is cork and so you will see cork everywhere they have like purses wallets um, all sorts of different things that they make with cork, which is kind of cool. It's a, it's a different item, but they make quality things with it. So yeah. I think that's it for my new segment. Oh, well, that was very good. Thank you, Tyra. You're welcome. Always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And before we end our show, of course, we have to answer our viewer mail. This one comes via email from, uh, no, no, snail mail. I forget. He always, he always writes us through the mail. Oh good old gosh. Barack O. Barack O says... Ryan and Tyra, I'm very excited for Christmas time to be coming, and I can't wait to decorate my house. Do you think it's appropriate to decorate your house after November 1st, or should I wait till after Thanksgiving? Ooh. Tyra, what say you? Um, I would say directly on the day after Halloween. Directly? You mean on the day after Halloween? Mm-hmm. Okay, no matter. Directly. So directly. <laughs> yes, directly. Don't like wait between. No, no, it has to be on the 1st. Okay, so November 1st is yes. when Tyra says. I agree. You know, it's so much work to drag all those boxes out of the attic, get them all, get your tree all set. So why not enjoy it for a couple months? All right, Ryan, let's wrap this up then, huh? Okay, well, we can't forget to thank our sponsor. This week's sponsor is Kmart. <gasps> Kmart, like Target, but way less cool. That brings us to the end of another episode of Globe Fodder. As always, thank you for joining us, and be sure thank to listen you. and subscribe. Come again. Didn't you used to work at Kmart? <laughs> I actually did. And you worked at Target. <laughs> I did, actually. I worked at Kmart and Target. Oh, my gosh. Kmart was...